With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome back, Hawkeye fans, uh, for week two of Cole and Howe. Um, here at HawkeyeNation.com, I am joined by Colin Cole. I am Rob Howe with Hawkeye Nation. And Colin Cole is former Hawkeye great, NFL legend, whatever other adjectives you want to put in front of his name, he will gladly accept. Right, my man? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> good, good dad, you know, a great husband. Those are good ones, too. So I, I, I take them all. And those are more important. If we're being straight, yeah, I would say so. I'd say so. I'd say <laughs> that I had uh, equally as much fun doing both, doing all of the above. And that's what life's about, having fun. That's right. So we're recording at about 3.30 Central Time on Sunday, September 8th, 2019, a day after Iowa dominated Rutgers. I think that's a fair word to use. It was, it was a dominating win, particularly defensively. Um, last week, we opened up this pod with me throwing some questions at you, Colin. Um, this week, I, I've kind of ran through my head that I'm going to let you open up with just some, some of your thoughts, some of your you know, uh, prevailing thoughts from, from what you saw on Saturday. Well, Rob, I would have to say that um, one of the major prevailing thoughts, just not just one, but the the overall prevailing thoughts that I have are um, it's great to see the Hawkeyes really setting the tone early in September in all phases of of, uh, of the team, uh, both offensively, defensively, and special teams categories, all of which team really came out and dominated in in the first two weeks. And so very good to see that. Good to see the downfield uh, explosive plays that Stanley was able to connect on and how much that really opened up uh, for the offense to continue to build on their on their game plan from last week. And the running game is has continued to be a stellar part of this offense. And I, I just have to say that it's, it has really been um, exciting to look at that that backfield perform. And Nate Stanley has been on point. You know, I, I know he missed a few deep and long, but uh, but overall, this guy is, has been just money. And it's, it's really impressive to see. And he really embodies the, this team right now and really, uh, really impressed with how he's grown uh, into the point where he is now as a senior. So... And defensively, let me not, uh, <laughs> not let me not just you know glaze over the defense. You know, to, anytime you can pitch a shutout against a Big Ten opponent, you you got to definitely make sure that you you bring about some attention there. And I, I feel I feel like it was a great overall defense performance. Again, if you can shut a team out, it doesn't matter. Uh, but ultimately, they stepped up and they rose up to the occasion and uh, got it done. Very impressive. I was impressed to see Jimon get a couple of interceptions, get an interception and and make a play there and, and to, to see that, uh, that, that number 94 come alive uh, more so than, than I felt the first week. I was very impressed with his play and excited to see how the season continues to grow. Um, so, yeah, yeah, well, that's where I start. Good rundown there. Gave us a lot to uh, digest and a lot to touch on here. Um, let's, let's go, because we, we talked about this last week, and it was, a, it was a major point, I think, of discussion throughout Hawkeye Nation was – and there were people saying this, and I just – I almost hesitate to, to give it any credence because I thought it was r- ridiculous. What What's wrong with A.J. Epinesa? Um, we discussed last week what Miami did to try to take him out of the game, and he opened things up for, for his teammates. And, and he it wasn't like he was invisible last week. But yesterday, I thought Iowa did a good job, the defensive coaches, a couple of times of – 
not moving him pre-snap, but stunting him into the middle of the line, and it really freed him up and almost got him going. Did you did you notice the same thing? Yeah, I agree. I I saw a few um, games being run on the inside and saw him getting into the middle and a couple times just kind of getting skinny for a guy that's what two eighty something of that nature. He was able to. To, to get through a couple of creases and get in the face of Rutgers quarterbacks. And it was impressive to see uh, that he obviously had that opportunity to do so. And yeah, you know, I definitely, I stand behind the idea of putting him inside a time or two on the defensive side of the ball. But ultimately, Hey, if you, if you can get him moved around post snap and get him in the face of a quarterback, ultimately that's, that's what we're looking for. You got to get it, got to get him into the face of the quarterback. He's got to utilize his, his, his intangibles in the, athletic department but you know it's it goes without saying that people always kind of drop the ball or people get real excited when so when something that they expect to happen doesn't happen and let's be honest I mean AJ Epinesa has gotten all the preseason hype that he can have going into this season and you're going to be expecting to see a million tackles and 20 sacks every game but the the fact that he's an impact player that impacts plays on a regular basis uh, just goes to show that he will continue to grow and the, just to trust the defense and trust that when the time comes, he'll make the plays that needs, he needs to make. But more importantly, the defense as a whole played lights out. So excited about that. Yeah, and teams are going to, as, as we talked about last week, they're going to scheme to try to take A.J. away. When, when teams were preparing for the, you know, the 1990 Bulls, they weren't, they weren't bent on stopping Bill Weddington or Steve Kerr. I mean, it, it was about trying to slow down Michael Jordan. And I'm by no means saying that A.J. Epinesa is Michael Jordan, but on this defense, he is – he's the guy. He's the guy that you need to slow down. He's the guy that you need to neutralize as best as you can if you're going to have a chance. Absolutely. You can go into any offensive meeting room – uh, Brian Ferentz, Coach Pelshek, the offensive uh, offensive lines coach. Uh, you gotta you, you gotta really understand that for an offensive game plan, you always try to find that best defender, the guy that's gonna wreck whatever play that you 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 you, you know you bring into the repertoire. And I guarantee you, every Big Ten team knows number ninety four in the black and gold. And they they're gonna try to find him every single play. And again, if you if you line them up every time, then they're going to game plan to either run to him with multiple blockers or they're going to game plan to run away from him as much as possible. Uh, but he's obviously showed within his ability to be to do both play play runs towards him and, and run run plays down behind him. So I you know I, I think that you know as the season progressed, like I said, you, you put him in a couple of different places, but knowing that he's that bookend, that good that that right end and he'll be that guy dominantly as Claiborne has been, as Campman has been in the past. These guys that have uh, kind of, you know, been that stellar guy, I'm, I know he's got that ability to do so, and will do so at a high level. So the season's young. We're, we're only two games in. I think the thing that, you know, we've all watched Iowa football for a long time, and, and it all starts with stopping that run. You know, as much as we want – to see sacks and they're the exciting part of defense when, when the, you know, a defender can drop the quarterback and AJ had a sack yesterday and four quarterback hurries, but I think he's been solid against the run setting that edge. And I think Chauncey Golston maybe is being overlooked because there's so much focus on AJ Epinesa. Chauncey played really well Saturday against Rutgers, particularly against the run two games. Now, the opponent has averaged three yards per carry, and that mm. I, that, that sets the tone, right? Absolutely, that sets the tone, and I agree with you. Chauncey is definitely a guy who has been overlooked. He's that he's that long, lean, physical specimen of a player, and has has the ability to to live up to the the, the build of being opposite of AJ. And you know he's gonna he's gonna continue to make a lot of plays. He's done so, you know, <clears throat> behind a few guys over the last couple of years. And now that his opportunity is in full swing, he's gonna take full advantage of it. I expect the I expect the front to continue to grow. Uh, everybody across the front, including you know, uh, Cedric and and um, my man Rife in there. I know that those guys are going to continue to grow as well. And as the season progresses, it's going to continue to, uh, you know, we're going to need everybody to step up and step in and, and, and help out as much as possible. And that line is keeping the linebackers clean. The line, as you mentioned, Colbert earlier, the linebackers are making plays. A lot of that has to do with what's going on up front, correct? 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. You know, and it's not so necessarily as much as eating up blocks as much as it is making sure that the defensive, the offensive line respects the defensive line's ability. And, you know, instead of guys feeling like they can take single blocks and get up to linebackers, which is where those creases come from, uh, if you have guys that demand attention, demand those two offensive linemen to stay on their blocks, uh, when I say that, I'm talking about the defensive tackles on the inside. When they demand those offensive linemen to double team them, then it frees up those linebackers to be able to hit those gaps. And then as those, as those linebackers are running downhill and hit those gaps, that frees up those defensive linemen because that makes those offensive linemen have to come off a double team just that that, that much faster to pick up that uh, that oncoming linebacker. So it, it plays hand in hand, and the secondary fits into that with the safeties and corners. So in order to, to really be stout and be good, we're going to have to make sure that we have at least an eight-man rotation in there that's, you know, going into as we continue through the season, continue through the Big Ten season, it's going to have to be growth in that regard. And I was I was good. It was exciting to see guys like uh, Austin Schulte, who has uh, who has uh, dealt with a couple of injuries, who's finally getting the opportunity to play. Uh, Davion Nixon stepped in there, and I saw him in there a lot on third down as a big body, six three, three hundred nine pound kid. He's he's got a lot of ability, and I, they're going to lean on him a lot as well on the inside. So it's going to take a, a group effort up front, and we we know who the number one named guy is, but it, it takes in the entire group to really make hay for the season to go the way we want it to you touched on a guy there that I wanted to ask you about what you've seen through two games a guy that uh you know he he qualified late coming out of high school ended up going to Iowa Western and kind of you know kind of getting his feet under him there then had to sit out last year you know to kind of get his academics in order um what are you seeing from Davion Nixon, an athletic kid that, you know, Alabama offered him when he went to Iowa Western? So that says a lot right there about his, his natural ability. Yeah, he's a very big kid, and he's got a lot of ability. You could tell that he's definitely got the raw ability that it takes to play on the interior of the line. Uh, you could tell that he's got the quick first step, the speed, and, and the, the, the agility as a big man to, to make some hay. Uh, he's, got, he's, he's raw. Like I said, he's got a lot of work to be done yet. And I know Kelvin Bell will continue to work with him and, and I'll continue to get him uh, coached up. Uh, but I do, I see him as a young talent that as a sophomore, he's got a, a huge upside moving forward. And, you know, as he continues to grow in his defense, he'll get, become more comfortable. And some of the, some of the little, the little nuances of the defense that I saw on, on the field yesterday, I think he'll pick up as he gets, gets uh, more comfortable with it and be able to be more of a factor in the defense as a whole couple numbers out there for fans that were wondering. Uh, Rutgers, uh, a team that put up roughly around 550 yards against UMass week one, had 125 yards of offense on Saturday, the fourth fewest in Kirk Ferentz's 20-plus years. So that's a dominating defensive effort. Uh, Rutgers averaged 2.6 yards gained per play, so that was their average. Um, Three turnovers. It was – one of the areas for me, Colin, after talking to the players last Tuesday, uh, particularly Geno Stone and Michael Ojemudia, two of the veterans of that secondary, they were really adamant about wanting improved communication in that back end this week from week one. They felt like there were some breakdowns back there and guys not being on the same page. Did you see improvement week one to week two in that back end? I would have to say that the biggest thing about communication is obviously making sure that coverages are where they need to be. I definitely feel like everything was pretty much in place where they needed to be in terms of uh, having the right coverage, having having men in the right area. Even when, when you can see some of those zones, the areas where those receivers were streaking open, there was always a, a defensive back. And uh, speaking of Stone, he came up and made some really nice plays in the open field uh, on some crossing patterns and such. So uh, it was impressive to see those plays being made. And Gino is a guy who, uh, being a, being that he's been in this defense for a while now has and has his opportunity now to lead this defense, in essence, uh, I think that, you know, to be able to call on your team and to be able to call on your fellow uh, defensive backs and, and linebackers to really call them to the table and say, hey, we need to be better in this area. It's about stepping up and, and taking over that leadership role. And he's a guy that will definitely be able to do that. And I'm excited to see how he continues to grow. And uh, not to mention, 
are, like I mentioned just a little while ago, uh, Jamin Colbert, who had the interception, uh, along with Christian Welch. Those guys led the team in tackles, and those guys will be the guys who will continue to get our team lined up and put in the proper place. But they have to continue to, to talk as much as possible. Communication is always a premium when it comes to secondary, or you got guys running free down the middle of your field, and that's not what you want. So the communication looked like it was in, in a great spot for this last game, and I'm sure as the season progresses, they'll continue to grow and know where each other will be on any, any given snap, on every given play, and uh, continue to, uh, to, to, to grow in the fundamentals there. And I think it should be mentioned that, you know, Friday's practice, unfortunately, Kayvon Merriweather came up with a sprained foot, which pushed Jack Corner, another sophomore, into his first start at free safety. So you've had two guys make their first starts at free safety in the first two games of the year. And yeah, it's not been perfect, but I think that says a lot about, you know, obviously Coach Parker, but these guys, you know, being ready for that next man in because they were ready yesterday and, and it, it, they didn't miss a beat. They took a, a team that, you know, really was explosive in that first week, particularly rushing the football and really just shut them down. Yeah, man, I, I agree with that. It, it, it really just speaks to exactly what I talked about last week in terms of needing to have that next man up mentality and the person that comes in has to take full advantage of their of their opportunities, which which he did, you know. And, and again, it can happen to anybody at any time, at any point on, on in the season, at any point on the field. It doesn't matter. The injury bug, once it hits you, it hits you. And there's something, some things that you just cannot prevent. That's one of them. So, yeah, hats off to the defense for being able to hold an explosive Rutgers team to what they were able to hold him to in the, the goose egg category. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, the running back who was running all over the place in their week one game, uh, was bottled up, you know, and it was impressive. It's impressive to see a team that is explosive, as explosive as Rutgers was, uh, to come into Kinnick and just completely get uh, get their lunch eaten, basically. <laughs> I like that one. Um, you don't, you never want anybody to take your lunch, man. That just makes for a long day. No, man, you know, and that's what we were doing all, all day yesterday. It was their, they, they, they had some things going, but as soon as we did, as soon as they did, we snatched it away from them, just took it right off the plate. Like, no, you can't have that either. And that was impressive to see on the defensive side of the ball. It's gonna, we're going to need a lot more of that moving forward in this season. Well, the kids say you want to eat, and Iowa certainly ate. They ate a lot yesterday, and I think the only person on the Rutgers team that ate anything was their punter. He, I mean, he was. You talked about uh, special teams at the opening, especially in that first, you know, the first quarter, um, and the beginning of the second quarter, where there, it was the field position game. The punters were just, and, and and hats off to Michael Sleep Dalton too, because he was. I don't know if he was matching the Rutgers punter, but he at least was doing a good enough job not to hurt. Well, I, I'm not going to even say that to hurt, but he helped his team as well yesterday. Oh man, I mean Rutgers punter was amazing. Their special their punt team unit was amazing in terms of just keeping us in check in, in the field position battle. And that's that's a big key when it comes to early time early games, when it comes to big games, and field position is always the key factor that, that will be that one thing that can, can creep up and be an issue for you. But uh hats off to their punter, hats off to ours, you know, being stuck back there a couple times early in the game. Just like you said, first and second quarter, we were punting it out of there and we had solid protection the entire game. And you know, it's not something that I wouldn't expect with our group, but at the end of the day, uh, to be put in position over and over again, have to have to you know, respond each and every time and have to, you know, make sure that they get those punts where they need them to be. It was impressive to see. And, you know, like I said to you last week, that punt team is that first defensive snap, just like that kickoff team is that first defensive snap. And wherever that team can get that, get that offense to start, that's where you start. And that's, that's why it's so utterly important special teams to give their, give their defense uh, the best possible field position in the game. And just some numbers from that. His name is Adam Corsack, the Rutgers punter. We should probably give him some credit there. He had uh, mm -hmm. he had ten punts, averaged forty seven point six yards per punt. Seven of his ten were inside the twenty. Um, 
So that gives you kind of an idea of what he had. And not to be completely outdone, Michael Sleep Dalton, the transfer from Arizona State, the graduate transfer for Iowa, six punts, averaged 48.3 per punt. Three of those were 50-plus yards. Um, and speaking to Iowa's defense again, Rutgers started its third through fourth drives on its own 41, its own 40, and the 50-yard line and came up empty. So, really, you, we talk about complementary football, column, offense, defense, special teams. I thought it really all kind of, as you said at the top of this pod, everybody, everybody chipped in on Saturday. Absolutely. And special teams is a staple of Iowa football and will continue to be so uh, impressed with how they were able to move the put us in the best possible position each and every play, each and every drive. And uh, it goes without saying, you know, we, we talked a lot about, the other thing we talked a lot about last week was in the next man up category was the offensive line and next man having to step up and having to, to step in and make plays. And it was, you know, I, I think that, I don't think that we have uh, to question where we are with Kyler Schott uh, stepping in right there. <laughs> He, he is uh, – he's, and, you know, the, again, I think I touched on this last week when I saw the stat about all five guys being placing in the uh, state wrestling champ tournaments. And it really goes, went to show. As I watched that game unfold, each and every time Stanley went back to pass, he had consistently had comfort in the pocket because those guys as wrestlers, their feet were just perfect in, in perfect position, hands in perfect position. And they really just looked really, really good. So, you know, my hat's off to that group and how they will continue to play moving forward to this season. And they played nine offensive linemen week one against Miami of Ohio this past week. I believe they played eight. Um, we thought Cole Banwart, who was projected to be the starting right guard, was going to make it back this week. I did not see him in the participation. I don't believe he got in. I think shot went wire to wire at right guard. But the second series of the game, Mark Kallenberger came in at left tackle. Tristan Wirfs started the game at left tackle. Second series, Kallenberger comes in at left tackle. Wirfs goes back to right tackle. Third series, Levi Paulson comes back in at right tackle. Wirfs goes back to left tackle. Can you speak a little bit to the, the value of of somebody like Tristan Wirfs? Because I know that's not that's not um, that's not normal that a guy can do that. No, it's not. And for him to consistently change spots like that, because when you do that, you have to completely change your stance you got to completely change your angles you got to completely there's a lot that goes into that because you're, you're used to practicing doing things a certain way the entire time and then not to not just not to mention the fact that when when it comes down to it uh plays run opposite directions in terms of a, a run was to be run to the left and he's a right offensive tackle he, his angles and, and what he has to do uh, his, his assignments change completely when he moves to the left offensive tackle. So for him to make that switch in his mind consistently, drive after drive, just shows the versatility of a guy like that who can come in and play both sides of the offensive line. And, I mean, to be honest, in a, in a pro type of system, uh, he, he can definitely kick down inside to offensive guard easily and do that as well. So he has a lot of versatility, and and uh, I'm sure that will get him paid a lot of money moving forward at some point in his life. I don't know when, but I know at some point he will definitely uh, earn himself uh, some uh, a nice chunk of change if he's able to continue to stay healthy and continue to grow the way he has been. Yeah, and we don't want to put the cart before the horse, but he is definitely trending towards the possibility of the 2020 NFL draft. But let's let the season play out. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. Um, he, <laughs> he talked to us about it after the game, and he made a, a bathroom reference in terms of it's kind of like wiping your behind with your off hand. He goes, it's not easy at first, but once you get it down, you could do it either with either hand. And uh, yeah, so people can make right. a mental picture of that. All right. I, I prefer not to, but I, I, get, <laughs> I, I, I get his drift. I get his <laughs> coming from. We'll leave that thing there. Um, so let's go to Iowa's first offensive possession. 
the uh, I believe it was a was it a 58 yarder 50 something yard bomb to Amir Smith Marset who for those who are not aware of the history he was it was 58 yards he was once he is from northern New Jersey New York Newark New Jersey and was committed to Rutgers at one point before Iowa moved in and, and talked him into coming uh, to the Midwest and I'm sure everybody is happy that he did but went back and looked at that play um, shotgun formation. You had Sargent and Torin Young split on either side of Stanley. Um, you had uh, Nate Weeding at tight end, and he was in the slot. He was off the line. Mm -hmm. And then you had Brandon Smith wide to the left of the formation. And Smith-Marset was in motion. He did like a stagger motion move. Um, and I just thought it was a really, really nice concept by Brian Ferentz. He sent Torn Young into the left flat. He brought Sargent on an underneath route. And then he had Weeding and Brandon Smith about five yards apart on those intermediate routes. The safeties and the linebackers, and even the corner that was on Amir, all hedged towards the middle of those underneath routes. And Smith just ran past the defense. Just really a beautiful concept in my mind. Yeah, and, and pretty much exactly how you describe it. Uh, they run that little Zach motion, uh, and, and he comes back. And, yeah, if you, if, as I replay it right here in front of me, it, it just it's, it's uh, the corner. He just basically his eyes are in the backfield, yep. and he kind of he sits a little bit, which he should never do. There's – there's nothing about uh, Amir's shoulders, a lot of his shoulder pads, that gives you the inkling that he's going to do anything but try to run past you. But uh, he gets caught doing too much. And, yeah, just like you said, everything else gets sucked up inside. And uh, essentially he is one-on-one -on -one with the cornerback, and the cornerback is not doing his job. And that's what, that's what you end up with is a 50-yard touchdown catch, 58-yard touchdown catch. And that was a great job by him setting him up with his little – uh, outside uh, juke, kind of giving him uh, that, getting him to sit down on that route and the, to continue on the inside with that deep pattern. And man, that, that, that really hurt him, right? Coming out to shoot. But if you, the, the, the amazing thing about this is right off the gate uh, in the first quarter, in the first drive, you have that bomb and the big score. And then the next seven series, we all end in punts. All we see uh, <laughs> six of which, let's see, five of which were three and outs, and the others were six and outs. So uh, not a whole lot of offense right after that, but it was, it was an impressive and explosive play that I'd love to see the black and gold get into. And that's what we talked about earlier about the punting, <laughs> the, the punting game of going back and forth. I, I thought Iowa did a good job. I, I, I give Rutgers credit for, you know, especially defensively, just hanging in there. They made some nice plays early in that, that game and, and into the – probably midway through the, the second quarter where Iowa started to get some traction again. But um, really they put Iowa in a position, you know, back against its own, own goal line where it was just – I got to imagine it shrinks the playbook on what you can do, doesn't it? Absolutely. You, you definitely got to watch what you do. I mean, you, you can't get yourself in position. But you know what was amazing to see was – Brian Ferentz was comfortable putting Stanley in the shotgun in the end zone on a couple mm -hmm. of occasions and was definitely throwing the ball out of the end zone on a couple of occasions. So it just really went to show the confidence that he had in that group up front that they would be able to manage Rutgers' defensive line. And it, there was no worry in terms of, oh, we need to try and run it out of here or we're going to get a safety. There was none of that. It was the, the confidence was there. And they dropped back on so many different occasions, and they were good with throwing the ball out of the end zone. And it, it, was, it was impressive to see. And, they, again, if that group up front can stay healthy, we can get Jackson back and we can have our, our line at full uh, capacity, full strength. Uh, I don't see anybody who's going to be able to really hurt us in our, with our front, front five on offense. I love throwing more defensive stats out there. Rutgers had three first downs in the last in the final three quarters. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we'll go back. We'll go back to offense here. Midway through the second quarter, uh, Iowa gets the ball on its own three yard line. Marches ninety seven yards, five and a half minute drive, eleven plays, 
Um, this is the first we really got to see. Um, and, and he was, and the coaches talked about this, Colin, this week that they really wanted to get Goodson involved in week one and kind of get his feet wet. And you mentioned him as a kid you like. He looked again, he looked good again against Rutgers, really gives a different dimension to, to that backfield in terms of, man, he, there was one play where he just stuck his leg in the, in the grass or the turf and just fake the defender out of his jock and, and, and just really shifty kind of a, but taking me to Ivory Kelly Martin, a guy that stepped aside last week and really allowed Tyler Goodson <laughs> to get his feet wet. But then we saw him on that long drive screen pass, I believe take it 20 to 25 yards and showed that he can contribute too. So you've got four backs now that can help you win football games is unheard of to be able to have that deep of a backfield. But I agree. Um, we talk about uh, we talk about that young guy out of Georgia and what he brings to the table. There's a certain shiftiness, a certain suddenness, a certain thing that certain that backs that really have, or you, you either have it or you don't have it. And it doesn't take away from anybody else's skill set. Uh, but I like something different about each and every one of these bats. And Kelly Martin comes in and he has the ability to catch. He, he has the ability to run as well in between the tackles. Torrin Young is a guy that I love the fact that we give it, give him the ball and let him pound it at defenses because believe it or not, defenses wear down mentally when they know that this guy is getting the ball and they know that no matter what, somebody has to stop him. Somebody has to try to tackle him. Somebody has to endure a collision. And he, he welcomes that contact. And Sergeant, he is the bell cow. And I'm really impressed with how he's been able to, to step up to the plate each and every, each and every play. So, I, you know, you, you said it, you know, it's, it's super impressive in terms of how these guys are continuing to grow and get better. And, it, I don't see anything wrong with, with the way that we're utilizing our personnel and how we're getting everybody involved. And a, a, a four-headed monster is something that I don't know that anybody could really game plan for. And it obviously starts with the guys up front, but um, between Kelly Martin, Goodson, Sargent, and Smith, I just really feel like we got to – and, and Torn Young, we really got a good group of guys up in that backfield that can carry the load moving forward. Really nice job by Mikai a couple times on Saturday, too, on blitz pickup. He is really good at, at blocking. And that he's often in there on third down because of that offense. Keep an eye on that. They'll see a guy that uh, really is, you know, that's an important aspect that I think sometimes gets overlooked. But um, I wanted to ask you, Colin, um, you talked about it, you know, having four guys in the backfield. And I believe week one, 10 different receivers caught passes yesterday, meaning Saturday uh, against Rutgers. The first five completions that Stanley threw were to five different receivers. Um, you know, the, the four different running backs. What does that type of inclusion or that type of ownership from that many guys and even multiple guys on the offensive line, nine, the first week, eight, the second week, that ownership, how does that, how does that manifest itself in morale and chemistry of a team when you have that many guys contributing? I think that when it comes down to it, it puts the team in a position where, you know, they take the, the embodiment of the next man up there to the next level. And for guys to be able to be playing well enough that coaches willing to put them into the game. I mean, I saw so many different guys making plays that I was waiting to see make plays. Brandon Smith is a guy who's got the size, has the ability, and it was, it was good to finally see him get in there and make some plays with, the, with this tall frame. Amir, I mean, he's a guy who was lights out in, in camp and in the practices that I've seen uh, to, to see him get the opportunity to finally get open and, and get loose. And then they, they came back with this freshman out of Indianapolis, a Tyrone Tracy guy, who I had not even realized was on our roster. <laughs> extreme catches and runs after the catches. So it, that guy stepped into stepped in and made some plays. So it's, it's impressive to see how – 
Brian Ferentz is opening up the playbook and Nate Stanley is going through his offensive his progression in, within his receivers and getting the ball to the open players and the open players are making plays. So it's impressive to see. And I'm, I'm excited for, for our chances moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned Tyrone Tracy. He's the one we were we kind of got we were we were talking about that long ninety seven yard drive. He capped that on a beautiful play action to uh Ivory Kelly Martin. I I was shooting photos on the field, Colin. And I was I I my my lens was completely on Kelly Martin. I thought he had it and was going in the end zone. The next thing I knew um, Tyrone Tracy was coming right towards me and Stanley was throwing the ball and I, I was clicking away. <laughs> I had to move my camera lens. Uh, nice. So great play action there and all set up from how well Iowa runs the ball. But uh, it seemed like Stanley had a confidence in the young guy too. It was, it was almost like a timing pattern. He threw that ball before Tracy even got to that corner of the end zone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it looks like those guys have been working well throughout the preseason, and he he the the way he came open because he basically ran away from the DB that was covering him, mm -hmm. and the way he came open in the back of the end zone was was just great. Uh, everybody else pretty much got picked off by all the crossing patterns, and Stanley just laid it out there nicely, which was one of the one of the better passes on the day for him, and and uh, impressive to, to to spot him coming across the formation like that. And I agree with you on Tracy completely. The, 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 he had another catch, I believe, in the second half where he got it in some space and really, really knows what to do with the ball when he's got it in the open field. I thought he was going to break that last tackle yep. make, and sprint ahead for that, that extra yardage and get that, ten, get that end zone. It is impressive to watch, I tell you that. And the fact that he's a freshman really just uh, speaks well to uh, being able to get that kid out of Indianapolis and what he will bring to this team this year and next year and years to follow. You probably wish they had this rule for you guys when, when, although you would have had to play anyway back when, when you, when you came here, the cupboard was bare enough where they needed all you guys to play. But that new rule, the new red shirt rule, Colin, with you know guys can play four games up to four games and still have that red shirt. Mm -hmm. You see a guy like Tyrone Tracy who played in four games last year. That had to have helped him to be able to get in front of seventy thousand people four times last year, and then come back and still have four years to play. That's pretty awesome rule change that they have. I would have loved to have had that my freshman year, but yeah, when I once I stepped on the field, I was on the field for the rest of my four. But the fact that they give these kids the opportunity to go out and play. And really gives the coaches the opportunity to evaluate their players and see who they need to have on their roster for any given year is a great rule to have for college football. Um, and you know they're doing a, they're doing just doing so much more to give these kids every opportunity to be on the field in so many different atmospheres and so many different uh, ways. And so it's impressive to see that he had the opportunity to play last year. The, the it, and it really goes to show that the stage wasn't too big for him. Uh, being a freshman this year and performing the way he did this last game. Yeah, your freshman year, you guys were dealing with Plaxico Burris and East Lansing. Oh yeah, that was a sad sight. That was a <laughs> tough one. I, was, I mean, not just not just him, but you can't forget T.J. Duckett in the oh, back. No. that guy was a a, a load. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one to forget for sure. Yeah, Bill's character though, right? Yeah, that's what they try to tell you to get to help you get over it. <laughs> but no, you're right though. It it is. I mean, to see what we would from uh, from that year, that 1999 was my true freshman year. Kirk's first year as head coach here. Um, it was definitely uh, a huge learning experience for us guys that had to endure it and had to be out there to to, to deal with it. It was tough, and you know to. See it kind of go full circle uh, in 2002, my senior year, to to have the opportunity to go from a one and ten team to an eleven and one team. It was it was definitely rewarding to have that. And yeah, it, yeah. I think if we're talking about one area that and and we're living in the Twitter social media age where there needs to be outrage about something Colin whether it I mean you could be walking through the meadow 75 degrees no humidity sun shining perfect day and somebody will complain about having allergies or there being <laughs> pollen in the air or something like that well yesterday 
And it wasn't good. I'm going to admit it that, but it's, you know, the coaches, there's learning for coaches too. They're learning their personnel. They're learning what guys can do. The clock management at the end of the first half had, had fans, you know, screaming from the mountaintops. What did you see there? Obviously it could have been handled better, but it almost seemed to me, and I don't want to take any thunder away from you, that they were kind of giving a senior quarterback a chance to, kind of orchestrate that and get him comfortable with that. It just didn't work out. You know, I don't, I wouldn't even put it on him. Ultimately it comes down to the coaches knowing where the play clock is, knowing where the game clock is. And <laughs> bottom line is with 25 seconds left in the, in the, the half, knowing the clock is running, knowing that it's, it's clicking down, you have a choice to either take the time and give them the ball back with say 15 seconds left on the clock, or you take the time just to make sure that you get the, get in the end zone. Like you want to, it's again, this is the second game of the season. This is college football. You don't have the, you don't have the ability of having, you don't have the, 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 the four games of preseason to kind of get yourself ready as a coach for clock management. You know, these mistakes that are happening within the second game of the season, these things happen, you know what I mean? It, they happen because coaches are, are trying to get comfortable with that, with watching the clock as well as watching watching the plays that are going on and trying to get formations put in place and, and trying to watch and see who's, who's out there on the field on defense. So I fully expect for the, the offensive coaches to, to rectify this mistake, understand that, you know, this is an early game. Fans got to understand this is an early season game and those types of mistakes do happen. They will happen, but you know, it's, it's opportunity for coaches to gain knowledge and get themselves up to game speed as well. And they will, it's a part of it. Like I said, they will. And the, the games will, they, we won't have as many, we won't have mistakes like this going forward. Uh, because it will be it will become something of emphasis, and you know the timeouts will be taken earlier when they need to be, and you know this won't be a recurring issue. Well said, I agree. Um, so they end up going for the field goal. Keith Duncan punches it through, nineteen yarder, twenty nothing at halftime. Um, I, I think it'd be remiss of us not to mention Keith Duncan, who's been perfect so far this year. You mentioned him last week as a kid that you know. St- Starting job as a true freshman, gets beat out two years in a row by Miguel Racinos, who was was an outstanding kicker. Keith has come back, hit a 46-yarder yesterday, a 43-yarder, and the 19-yarder. He's been money. Mm -hmm. He has been. And, again, yeah, I'm happy to see that he's gotten his opportunities to take over the kicking roles as he has. And, yeah. It is. It's difficult to have to go through something like that. You know, there there are no substitutions in and and at the kicker position. So, uh, Racinos came in and beat him out, like you said, and made a lot of great kicks for us the last couple of years. And to see that he's finally gotten his opportunity to play and and kicking and 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 taking care of business the way he needs to, I wouldn't have expected anything but that. So, glad to see he's taking advantage of it, and he will continue to grow and get better as well. And we'll follow a long line of good, great. Awesome, amazing Iowa kickers. The question I have for you, Colin, is um, Miami of Ohio, I believe, played a little bit better yesterday, but Rutgers beat UMass handily. UMass lost to Southern Illinois at home yesterday, so obviously that was not a good football team, and that kind of came to fruition when we saw what we got with Rutgers yesterday. How do you put into perspective these first two games? I mean, Iowa, for the most part, has dominated, but it's just two games. There has to be some type of perspective there of you do you do what you can do, but you got to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And that's one thing that Kirk Ferentz does a great job of, is keeping the team focused on the opponent at hand. And, you know, the, the toughest thing to do is to try and – uh, look at a team and say, oh, well, you know, we played this team. Beat that team. So that, so therefore we should be, that right. stuff doesn't really matter. You know, any team that takes the field on any given Saturday can beat any team. And the fact is, is that Iowa through the 20 year tenureship of coach Carrick Ferentz has stayed true to who they, who they are. They're a run first team still uses a fullback, still runs out of the eye, still runs downhill at defenses, still has not changed who they are. <clears throat> and I don't see them, I don't foresee them doing so. So due to the fact that they, they are who they are and who they have been, 
forever, as long as I remember. Uh, I don't see things changing in that regard. And that equates to a team that is comfortable in being who they are. Uh, run first, stop the run first team that will take away your strengths as, a, as, a, as an offense and continue to play to the strengths of their offensive line uh, to beat teams moving forward. And, you know, it's ultimately you play the competition that comes on the field with you. And the level that I see this team playing at, I don't see any team that can beat them right now in the Big Ten. And from a, that's saying a lot. Um, Wisconsin looks pretty good. I'm looking forward to that one. But, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. Um, Jonathan Taylor against Iowa's rush defense, though, has me excited. Um, Especially after last season. Yes, exactly. Um, but I, the, just to build on what you said there, I, I, again, you, you have to play the teams that are put in front of you, and you can't control what level those teams are going to be at. But the ability of, through – two weeks to run the football and stop the run is the foundation. And that's mm -hmm. something to build off here moving forward. Cause we know this week, the competition ramps up significantly. Mm -hmm. And um, so 99, I believe and 2001 were your two trips to Ames mm -hmm. memories from that, from those uh, times. I know <laughs> You guys were rebuilding, and, and Coach McCarney had things going pretty good there. So the success – but you guys kind of caught up as, as your career went on. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it, it's, a, it's obviously a rivalry that we all hold near and dear to our hearts. And so I, I don't know much about them this year. I know that they went to triple overtime in their first week matchup. And it's uh, my memories of, of – Going up to Ames, you know, I don't – I will reserve for off-air commentary, but I do know <laughs> that, uh, you know, I, I do know that they, they they get pretty amped up, as do we. And, you know, it, it, just, it just creates an environment that you just love as a college football player and a fan of college football. You just love the atmosphere that's built around this game and around this rivalry. And you know what? I, I wouldn't take it – I wouldn't – like, I wouldn't change it for any other rivalry in college football. And I'm excited to see our team take the field our, our, and run our offense and run our defense and do what we've been able to do throughout this, this season so far. You know, I think Fred Barr put it best. He hates Iowa State. And <laughs> <laughs> I, did a, I did a story on Fred last year, and we talked about that. And, what, and Coach Ferrets coming up to him and saying, Fred – we know, we know how we feel, but we don't need to say it out there, Fred. <laughs> Fred's like, all right. But that was Fred. And I think, you know, hate's probably a strong word, but it's a rivalry, right? In rivalry games, and I'm, I'm sure you went through them in high school, the pros, it's healthy. We talk about healthy rivalries. This seems like a healthy rivalry. Yeah, yeah, I would have to say so. If, if there's ever, if there's ever really such a thing as such a term to be used, this is a healthy rivalry that we all can feel good about. And you know, I don't, I don't disagree with Fred's thoughts. You know, I, I, <laughs> to some level, I agree with those thoughts. You know, but hey, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that I, if I saw a a, 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 a Cyhawk or a, a clone fan, you know, that need help across the street. I'm sure I'd land a hand, you know, that sort of thing. But in terms of on the field or anything of that nature, there's just not a lot of love lost there. Um, I was once three in a row, I believe, in this series. Um, Matt Campbell's kind of gotten things going back, got, got things going forward again here in Ames and the first time I believe Fred or Fred Colin that uh, these teams are both going to these teams are going to meet both as ranked teams and college game day ESPN's college game day will be in Ames for the first time ever this is a national stage now man this is big time next weekend this is this is you I know you're not a native Iowan, but this is really just a great thing for this state. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to see, <clears throat> you know, 
these two teams clash and to see the success that you and I have has had. And you and I is actually a team that brought them to, that took them to, to, to uh, extra quarters a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the state of Iowa football as a whole is in a great place. And, you know, you, you got to give your hats to Iowa state and the fact that they have fought back to be in the national spotlight. And, um, you know, but I, I fully plan on the Hawkeyes emerging with the victory and continue to do what we do, what we do best, run the ball and stop the run, uh, see what they can get going. Uh, but ultimately, like you said, to sit, to have college game day, be in Ames for and covering this game really does bring a lot of notoriety, just deserve notoriety to both these ball clubs and giving the, the national stage to Iowa as a state is is uh, is really really awesome and i'm proud to be a part of that group colin um iowa state really stout on defense you know ray lima in the middle of that three four four active linebackers uh really good in that front seven how does iowa go about attacking that three four front with a big big heavy run stopper in the middle well, um, not knowing a whole lot about Iowa State, but, you know, doing a little bit of digging, uh, I would have to say you have to do them as much as you can. I, we know what our bread and butter is. We know what we're comfortable with. We know how we run our team. Uh, but the big, the biggest thing is going into a, a position where you take away their best players in certain areas. So if that means putting three wide receivers on the field and getting them out of that base three, four defense and making them play more nickel. So and continuing to run the ball just as we've, as we've done, then those are the things we have to do. Um, you know, Makai Sargent up until this point has 150 yards on the season. Their top rusher of uh, Lang has only 14 carries for 60 yards. So, our ability to stop the run will be will be huge. Our ability to run the ball will also be huge in terms of whether we're able to come out of the game with a win. Uh, Purdy uh, has been a good ball player for them, quarterback, obviously, as you mentioned. But can he stand up to the pass rush that, that our Iowa defensive front will put on him on a regular basis moving forward? So we're going to see. It's going to be an exciting matchup. But, you know, I'm sure that the group is up for the task. Does either team have an advantage here, Colin? Um, Iowa State goes to three overtimes in the opener, then has a bye week before playing its rival. Or Iowa, that plays two games, gets more experience, um, but maybe has less time to prepare for the rival. I would say that in any aspect, the team that is typically the strongest is the team that has continued – playing games mm. uh, when you have a bye week in the early especially early in the season it, it as much as you have a chance to game plan uh, another team it also puts you in a position where you're behind and actually hitting actually you know running against a defender a, a, a defender that's a, somebody different than your team so having not played last week I feel like will play as a detriment for Iowa State in that regard that they obviously did not play any ball, any meaningful ball last week and practice against their own guys, against their own defense, and not practicing against the front like Iowa uh, against, you know, in, in live competition. So I think it plays to our favor because we've been doing the same thing for the last two weeks. And basically as an offense, you want to be, you want to get into a rhythm. You want to get comfortable calling plays that the guys are comfortable with and knowing this, the downhill run, running game will be in, a, in effect, knowing that the outside stretch zone game will be in effect and knowing that Stanley will have the ability to play off of those two things will, will be huge moving forward. So <laughs> I like our chances after having played two games in a row and not having any major significant injuries or anything that will take away from our overall group. Uh, and as like I said, with Jackson coming back here in another week or so with his injury, uh, the group itself will, will continue to grow strength. And again, just like you mentioned, we had eight guys up front play. Uh, we got four guys in the backfield that play. And everybody's getting getting meaningful snaps, meaningful reps, so that when it comes to game time, they know what to do and the bullets are live. And I'm excited to see how they grow moving forward. It, and this this game is usually week two, so now it's week three. It just I, – I agree with you, and, and I think – Part I'll, I'll, I'll kind of piggyback what you're saying. Iowa's been able to put a lot of stuff on tape 
offensively these first two weeks. As we talked about, all these different guys involved, I think Iowa State's got a lot to prepare for defensively in stopping Iowa's offense. They really do. There's so many weapons right now that Iowa has in its arsenal. And can you game plan to take away one? No, you really can't because there are so many other players that can step up and make plays. And I don't see how they would be able to key in on anybody. So uh, even with their 3-4 defensive scheme, they can get movement at the point of attack at the, no, at the, at the nose guard and those heavy fives or three technique defensive ends. Uh, watch out. You know, it might get the ball might get ran a lot and a lot of opportunities to those backs to, to get into the second level. So we'll see. One more for you. Hostile environment. This is going to be a hostile environment for Iowa. Some, we talked about some of these new guys. It's going to be their first road game. But you got you have a senior quarterback that's been here and done this before. But he's he's had some yips on the road in past games. It's really a big game for him. What are some of the keys to traveling well in ter- terms of bringing your best game on the road? It does. It comes down to the leadership of those guys on the offensive line, as well as Stanley, and knowing that he's been in some tough environments before. You know, being up in in New York against Boston College, being being down in Tampa against uh, University of Florida. You've traveled well. You've done. You've dealt with uh, really difficult tasks, and you know this is just another game on the schedule. And it obviously is a little bit more emotional because it's the cross-town rival. But uh, but guess what? We still have a more talented team from top to bottom. And there shouldn't be an issue in terms of who you look to to make plays when they need to be made. Because I feel very strongly that the group that we have has the poise and leadership um, in, in every position group to step up and make plays when they need to. So you've got the Hawkeyes coming out of, with a victory here, correct? Oh, no question. Okay. Um, fans and, and listeners are going to have to wait till Wednesday when I do my preview. So there's a little bit of a teaser there for, for my pick. Okay. Um, but go with the pro. He's, uh, he's got the Hawks winning, and he knows more than I do. Well, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what. When it comes down to it, I think that 99 out of 99 times, I will probably go with Iowa. <laughs> probably, even if we're fielding, like, all freshman team, I still feel strongly about our – Win our ability to win and feel very confident, especially after knowing that they've gone through a Kirk Ferentz run training camp, a Kirk Doyle run off season. I would feel very comfortable. Uh, Chris Doyle run off season. I feel very, very comfortable of, uh, of siding with that team, regardless. Yeah, I'm always. I'm just one of those skeptical people by nature, Colin. And I came into the year and I worry. I'm like, oh well, is, is this kid going to be able to punt? Is is Duncan going to be able to kick field goals or, you know, as the new center, he's a freshman. Is he going I feel a lot better. And I know we talked about perspective and opponent level and all that other stuff. I feel much better after these first two weeks going into Ames than I did before the season. This team has shown me a lot and that foundation of stopping the run and being able to run, run the football, that has me mo- that that gives me the most confidence. I just I, it's not a team that's making mistakes. It's a team that I think is is getting is growing together. All of those hallmarks that you look for for Hawkeye teams, they've shown through through two weeks so far. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the key thing is that not making mistakes, not trying to play outside themselves, not trying to do too much. Uh, just playing within their abilities, playing within themselves, and just being methodical about their approach uh, is really just showing up on field. And I will—I don't see any reason why I should not continue to go with the trend that it has already. Know who you are. Iowa knows who it is. And when you, like you say, when you stay within that, you stay within yourself, you stay within yourself as a team, some really good things can happen. Anything else, Colin, before we close it up for the week? Uh, you know, the only thing I got to say is beat state. And that is a three o'clock start central time Saturday from Ames, Iowa. You'll have uh game day before that. Um, 
broadcasting from Ames, and I believe that game is another game on FS1. So for the third week in a row, Iowa's network of choice is FS1. I'm not sure who's on the call for that yet, but I will have that in my preview that I release on Wednesday. Colin, it was good to talk to you again and pick your brain and, and some great, great analysis from you once again, and I'm, I'm really digging this. I had one guy come up to me this week at a, at a, a local cross high school cross-country meet I was out covering for a side hustle that I do. He had the pro and the pen, and the pen representing my journalistic side. It's okay, but I, I'm, I'm not there yet on that one, particularly because I barely use a pen anymore. Everything's computerized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, 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 I can see how you can have a hard time with that one. You know, I, there was one that I kind of like that I saw on Twitter. And the one that, that, that really got me is, I don't remember, I have to go back and try to find what this guy's name was, but he had the how was your name Cole my name is that it was and it, how cold is that and the way it rolled off the tongue it was like man that, that's kind of catchy I like that one yeah let that one simmer with me for a little bit I'll have to roll that one around I'm still sticking with Cole and how for now that's what I'm tabbing this one again this week and we'll we're we're open for business right Colin anybody and everybody who has ideas Keep coming because it's one of those things where I think when it's when 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 the right one hits, we're both going to be ah yeah that's it that mm-hmm. is it. I agree. I so agree. keep Maybe them coming, fun. folks. Um, and hang in there. Don't be too mean to the Iowa State fans this week, and uh, be good winners, right? <laughs> that's exactly be, right. Be good winners if you if you are going to Ames after the win act like you've been there that's right all right for colin cole this is rob howe wrapping up another week of uh, the cole and howe podcast we will be back next week talking about three and oh and another hawkeye win going into the bye week thanks for listening folks